0: Chapter 11 This morning. Eventually, we'll get there. Uh, a few other things, first of all. <clears throat> the title for our message this morning is uh, He Was Looking Ahead. And it has to do with uh, just with us, by faith, looking ahead to the amazing future. We've already been singing about it uh, that uh, God has saved us for and destined us for in heaven with Him. And uh, so I'd just like us to talk about that a little bit this morning and uh, refresh us, and hopefully uh, uh, lift up and strengthen your, your faith uh, in, in this world. You know, the world can kind of get us down, right? There's, there's a lot of darkness and worry and, and uh, fear out there, and, uh, <clears throat> and uh, we have the special privilege and have been promised by, by Christ himself about what we're looking ahead to, and that will give us sustenance in the present life that we live in right now. So that's kind of the, the thesis that... Uh, We'll work from this morning. There's a. Uh, I'd like to also acknowledge uh, those who are watching online this morning on live stream, <coughs> in your pajamas. Uh, glad you're glad you're here with us, and uh, and uh, it's 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 a special thing that you can do this, and uh, so we welcome you to uh, do the service here as well. And uh, all of you who are perhaps here for the first time this morning, Meyer's done a great job of of welcoming you. I just second what she has said and say we're we're glad you're here too, and I hope that. You'll go home and you'll say, "I'm glad I went," uh, and I think maybe I'll come again. Uh, but uh, <coughs> let's begin. Uh, someone uh, once said, "I think it was—I looked it up." His name was Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr., and he was an American uh, statesman and poet and physician. And he once said, uh, "Some people are so heavenly-minded, they're of no earthly good." And every once in a while, someone will uh, say that, <coughs> and. Uh, 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 meaning, uh, meaning that we, and, and, and in my slide, I think behind me, I have some Christians are so heavenly-minded, uh, but that's, that's wrong. It should be some people are so heavenly-minded, they're of no earthly good. So my question this morning is, is that true? Uh, is it possible to be too heavenly-minded? And uh, well, I want to explore that with you this morning. Now, uh, a fellow you've probably all heard of named Karl Marx, he is one of his most famous quotes Uh, in his uh, writings and philosophy of Marxism was that religion is the opium of the people. And what he meant by that is that religion sort of keeps everybody drugged up and suppresses your your creativity and your energy to change this world. Of course, he wanted to change the world through his Marxist teachings and ideology, and uh, he didn't do a very good job of that messed it up even worse. But uh, that's what he used to say. We don't need religion. And uh, in fact, he advocated a state full of atheists. So we wouldn't be thinking ahead to pie in the sky. We'd put our hands to the task that we have right here and now to change the world. Uh, Not a bad idea to put our hands to the task here. But uh, I think thinking ahead helps us even more to do so here. And that's what I'd like to talk more about this morning. I also like the rebuttal from C.S. Lewis, the English uh, (coughs) Christian uh, from uh, the previous century in the 1900s, and he said in rebuttal to those statements, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most about the next, and uh, I like that. These statements are, uh, by Marx and by Oliver Wendell Holmes, are asserting the same thing, that we, if we think too far ahead, will be useless in the present. Is that true? It's been said that we don't really, as humans, begin to think until we have a problem. <clears throat> Let's pray briefly about our problem here. Those statements and their assertions are a problem. Is that true? Lord, we have a problem here, and we pray that you would help us to think biblically and with you in the picture so that we can think right and think well because we want to have a bifocal vision. We want to look ahead but we also want to look around us right now and ask what do you have for us to do. We give you this time. Amen. If we have wrong ideas about the future life then it won't do us much good. To think about it, and it won't affect our present life. We'll be tentative in our faith and in our convictions, <coughs> and a faith in the wrong ideas will not inspire us very much at all. Uh, recently, uh, the church elders—that would be Einar Skolsegg, Mark Brown, Ken Taylor, myself—were <coughs> invited to Grace Youth for an evening <coughs> to do a Q&A and uh they gave us 16 questions to think about. They were all good questions and we we answered them and and discussed them with the youth. But one of the questions that stood out to me was the question asked by some youth in uh in in <clears throat> because they wanted to know will heaven be boring? <clears throat> I could see the fear behind that question like I hope not cuz I don't want to go there if it is, but, but 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 you know how it goes. And uh <clears throat> in fact, um Kevin was just telling us, we're going to sing forever in heaven, and some people are like, oh, I don't like singing. And uh, so, so we have, there's part of our problem. But uh, uh, I bet you do like singing. It just depends what you're singing, and uh, you'll be quite amazed at uh, the singing in heaven, but we'll be doing a lot more, a lot more than that. We'll explore that also this morning. Now, We humans have some pretty, poor, immature, childish pictures in our mind of what heaven is. Often people will immediately say golden streets, pearly gates, angels floating on clouds playing harps. They're the most common images that come to mind. You know, those things are mentioned but only in passing, as Scripture describes heaven, only in the briefest way, i.e., they're not that important. If that's all there is to look forward to in heaven, we'll be bored to tears by the end of the first week. We need to read Scripture more carefully and more thoroughly, and we need to use our God-given imaginations and creativity as we think about what's ahead. This morning's message, thesis, is thinking properly about our future life in heaven with Jesus should have a very positive and powerful impact on our daily life here and now. There are three things I'd like to put before you uh, to consider about heaven and just to stretch your imagination and push out the boundaries a little bit and get past pearly gates and golden streets, three things to think about. Uh, Right now, the first one is, in heaven, there will be an entirely new understanding about everything. There will be an entirely new understanding about everything. There are so many things in life here that we don't understand. So many things are confusing and contradictory uh, and and get us down. So many seemingly unanswered prayers. Yes, I have those. We pray, we pray, and when, when we, we think we know what's the right thing to pray for, and it doesn't happen, uh, he or she doesn't get better. They Maybe they pass away, and we say, Lord, are you listening? Are you even there? So many things are confusing, hard to understand. The Apostle Paul knew that. He said, now, in this present life, we see in a mirror dimly, but then, in the future life, we shall see face to face. We'll have a new understanding of things. It'll be very later. I anticipate meeting people in heaven, And we will do that. There' going to be a lot of them there. I anticipate meeting people in heaven a hundred years in or a thousand years in, and I'll, we'll ask each other your story. What's your story? Uh, you know, like, you're here, but tell me the, the backstory. And uh, as they talk and as they give details, I can envision my eyes as I'm listening to them getting bigger and bigger. Maybe I step back, bigger. Like this is amazing. This is amazing. What's going on here? And uh, and I recognize that in their story, there I'm connected to them. They might have been raised in 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 uh, Thailand or Australia or or uh, uh, Norway or somewhere. I never knew them in this life, but as they tell their story, I'm going, wow. Uh, <coughs> and uh, I'm realizing that some of my so-called unanswered prayers that I was so disappointed about here on earth. God was working through my prayers in ways I had no way of knowing and that it was touching other places and people around this world in which we live. You know how that old saying, when a butterfly flaps its wings in China, we feel it over here in Canada? Um, I don't know if that's true, but, uh, but that the interconnectedness of, of our environment and of our, of our climate and 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 everything, you know, and and when when this little butterfly prays here in Canada, who knows what effects it's having in, in a chain reaction through people's lives throughout and around the world. And I think we'll have a new understanding about that. And only then will we be able to connect the dots that we couldn't connect now on earth. And it'll be all to God's glory. Events, trials, difficulties will all be understood in new ways in heaven. Why did I have to go through that? I didn't understand it now, but I will then. Then we'll see face to face. We'll be constantly saying, oh, now I understand. Oh, I see it clearly now. And oh, I had no idea. We'll often use the words written by the Apostle Paul in Romans 11, where he said, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Secondly, in heaven, there'll be new learning. We'll learn new things. We'll constantly be learning. Sometimes we think, well, we're going to be perfect there. And if you're perfect, you don't have to learn anything more, right? We'll be perfect and we'll still be learning and growing in the breadth of our perfection, I believe, in heaven. We all like to learn. We like to learn different things. Some of you are into music, and some into literature, and some into science. (coughs) We'll learn about God. His wisdom and his knowledge are infinite. And we'll be amazed at them and him forever. <clears throat> what do we really know about what happened at the cross of Christ when he died for our sins? What do you really know? We know a few things, right? Enough to cause us to worship all of our days here on earth, but I think the the, the window's going to be opened up a lot wider in heaven and we'll see behind the scenes. Explain if you would the incarnation to me. God becoming flesh, born as a baby in a manger. <clears throat> well, I'll bet you that if you and I began to talk about the incarnation, we couldn't talk for more than two or three minutes. We're going to see a lot more of the mystery of what happened there and how that happened and why that happened. It's amazing. <coughs> you know, you ever look through a keyhole into a room? You know, like that's all you can see is you're looking through the keyhole. What do you see? It, well, I see a I see a window and, a, and there's a chair by the window. What else do you see? I don't know. I can't see anything else. I guess that's all there is. We look through a keyhole right now, but our learning will expand because the door will be opened and we'll see the whole room, and it's going to take a long time to learn all that we need to, to learn. Paul said in Ephesians 2 that we'll learn about his grace. What do you understand about God's grace? It's wonderful, his favor to us when we didn't deserve it, that's true. But Paul says in the ages to come, he will show us the incomparable riches of his grace. That means there's going to be a lot to learn about how his grace operated in our lives and how he saved us by his grace. There's so much that we don't understand about the universe. Some of you who are into science and biology and physics and chemistry and stuff like that. We probe, as humans, the universe with telescopes at the far away. We probe with electron microscopes at the very tiny, and we're amazed, and we're always trying to learn, right? I just think that process will go on in heaven. It'd be wonderful, it'd be awesome. The very large and the very small will declare the glory of God. We don't really understand that much about space and time and energy and atoms and the subatomic particles, and the elementary particles of the universe, and even light itself. We know its effect, but physicists today still say we don't really understand light. They're still working on it. Light is amazing. And gravity. We know what gravity does, but why is there gravity, and how does it work? I just look forward to that. You might say, I'm not going to that class. And that's fine. That's fine. (coughs) Me and most of us will be there. Human human consciousness. We do not understand the meaning and how human consciousness works. We don't. Ah, The Lord will show us all kinds of cool stuff when we're in heaven. Thirdly, we'll have new experiences in heaven. New experiences. The Apostle Paul put it this way. In 1 Corinthians 2, he said, things the eye has not seen and the mind has not even thought of. All that God has prepared for those who will be in the next life with him. Things we've never thought about. There will be banquets in heaven, you'll be glad to know, full of feasting, good food, aged wine, light, and joy. Isaiah 25 talks about that. And at least one of those banqueting events, the Lord himself will serve us. Wow. Now Mark Brown says there will be hockey in heaven. And I say, okay, okay. Mark says, we'll play the best hockey we've ever played in heaven. And I say, okay. One thing will be different, though. There won't be a penalty box. <laughs> Probably be referees. Got to drop the puck <clears throat> and make the close calls at the goal line. But, you know, all of our appropriate former experiences here in this life will be very different in the new life in heaven. Because, for the listen to this. For the first time in all of our existence, for the very first time, we will live in an unfallen world, an uncursed world, and it will be utterly different. Revelation 22.3 says, there will no longer be any curse. There's no time to really explore that. Imagine talking to a fish in a lake. Somehow just, remember I said you need to, we need to use our imaginations more? So you're talking to this fish underwater and, uh, and you're describing to the fish in its watery world, which is the only thing that it knows, what it's like to walk on land and, and ski on mountains and fly in an airplane and see the sunshine and feel the wind in your face and, uh, and all those, and the fish is going, no. That's not, po-. the fish is looking through a keyhole, all right? But then, 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 face to face. I'm just trying to whet your appetite a little bit. We will grow from glory to glory. Okay, let's go to Hebrews 11 now and study about a man named Moses. He started out his life, Moses, in Egypt with many weaknesses and fears Uh, He was a man who was seemingly going backwards in life, but who, after meeting God in the burning bush, he learned and started to look ahead to what God had for him in the future. And as he kept his eyes of faith on his invisible God, he became the greatest leader of the Old Testament era and possibly the greatest leader of all human history. Let's take a brief look at his life as it's summarized in Hebrews 11. We'll read Hebrews eleven twenty three 23 to 28. Let's see. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. He was born in Egypt because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin, for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkled blood, sprinkling blood so that the destroyers of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. And when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. There are two things that it says in this passage that I think undergirded and were the foundation of Moses' absolute change of life and from becoming a rather useless person to becoming one of the greatest leaders in this life. The first thing was in verse 26. That extra slide is, is, is up there, uh, Danny. In verse 26 <laughs> it says he was looking ahead to his reward. And then in verse 27 it says he saw him who is invisible. Another translation says he saw him who is unseen. So Moses, as he began to look ahead, saw the invisible God who was real, yet not visible to the material eye, but he could see him by faith. And he was looking ahead to the reward, not just down at the ground of his present time. And that changed Moses' life. Let's go back to this passage and notice five new qualities and strong qualities in Moses' life. And I think they all stem from the fact that he was looking ahead and seeing him who is invisible. Number one, (coughs) this is verse 24 by faith Moses when he had grown up refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter Moses had two identities he was born biologically as a Hebrew but the Hebrews though there were an awful lot of them uh, they were slaves in Egypt they were were, uh, the lowest of the lowest caste Uh, they just did menial work and they were oppressed by their Egyptian masters. Uh, Moses was a Hebrew, but as he was a baby, he was, remember, he floated in the Nile, and he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, and he was raised as an Egyptian. So he had a Hebrew identity and an Egyptian adopted identity, uh, which wasn't really the truth about him, but it was part of his life at this point. But at a certain point in his life, after he had met God, and after he had looked ahead, it says, notice the word, he refused to be, co- to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The son of Pharaoh's daughter would mean he was Pharaoh's grandson. And he would have been one privileged person in Egypt at that time. But he refused to take that identity, which wasn't his real identity. Identity. You know, if you're trying to be two different things at the same time, you'll probably be paralyzed and end up being neither. Did it ever make a difference when he refused strongly and embraced just as strongly his Hebrew identity? Identities are powerful. When a person becomes a follower of Jesus, we leave behind all our former Identities. I mean we have identities that are related to career, related to sports, related to sexuality, related to money, related to social things. Our identities are are affected by many things in our life. But when we come to Christ, all former identities must bow down to Christ and to his lordship in our life. And we begin to embrace a singular new one. We are now a child of God. We are forgiven and cleansed as sinners. We have been purchased and rescued by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we now live to serve him. When embraced, that identity as a Christian deeply changes a life, just as Moses' life was also changed. Number two, this comes from verse 25. It says, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. <clears throat> Notice that phrase, the fleeting pleasures of sin. There were lots of them for Moses to enjoy if he wanted to. To all of those who are indulging in sin and enjoying every minute of it, I say, wake up foolish people. It won't last and it will bite you with deadly poison in the end. Moses made a very difficult choice. Instead of the passing pleasures of sin, which would be served to him by eager servants on a platter, he chose a hard life with his oppressed Hebrew brethren because, and get this, he was looking ahead. He saw what nobody else was looking at and what nobody else of his generation could see sought by faith why because he'd met God and everything was different some of us have difficulty making choices right Um, some people are very decisive and some people like me are not so decisive and we struggle and we're back and forth and we call it being objective but we just aren't very good decision makers and I think Moses was like that but at a certain point just notice those words He chose something. And I I would encourage you, as you you see God and as you look ahead, it will help you make tough choices in life, but good choices, the best choices. And they're not, usually they're not the easy ones. Just know that, my friends. Number three, verse 26. So Moses uh, got his identity cleared up. And he he learned to make tough choices. The third thing is about values. Verse 26, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. There's that looking ahead thing again. We all have value systems, personal value systems. Businesses have value systems. Churches have values. Sometimes they figure them out and put them on on a plaque on the wall just to remind us what our values are. You you probably haven't really thought much about your values or even written them down. Our values sometimes are just sort of assumed. Like, of course everybody thinks that. Um, But uh, of course maybe they don't. Some people get into real conflict and they can't figure out what their conflict is. A husband and a wife or people on the board at church or whatever it is. And they need to look a little deeper at their values because often the values are in conflict but we, we, we don't recognize the values that we have, but we do have them. Anyway, our values are influenced and shaped by parents, by peers and friends, by cultural trends, and by past experiences. Notice it says, Moses regarded. See that? I think it should be behind me there somewhere. Moses regarded And the word regarded there in its original Greek um, rendition means to consider, to weigh things out, and to think. And so Moses considered and he weighed things out as he looked at the Egyptian life and the treasures of Egypt and as he looked at his poor people uh, under the whip. And he thought things out, but he regarded these values which sided with God to be his values and not the treasures of Egypt. Have you and I considered carefully and thoughtfully what our deepest values are and how we make decisions? Or have we just thoughtlessly absorbed the values of this materialistic and pleasure-addicted culture in which we live? Moses thought it through, made a decision, quote, because he was looking ahead to his reward. Number four, verse 27 by faith he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger here's the fear thing Ken just gave us four great sermons on fear that we have fear about our we have anxieties and we, and we have fear about our inadequacies and we have fear about situations in the world because there's some scary ones going out there and how are they going to affect me and and we can kind of get paralyzed by fear that's the bad fear that he was talking about Something you need to know about Egypt. Pharaoh, who was the king, had absolute power over everything and everybody in the land. I think that everything everybody attempted to do in Egypt had to pass the test of one simple question. Will this make Pharaoh angry? If not, I'm not going to do it. Because if Pharaoh was angry with you, you would be feeding the crocodiles with your body in the Nile pretty soon. Don't make Pharaoh angry. So, what did Moses do? He went and made Pharaoh angry uh, by talking about taking the people of Israel out of Egypt. That enraged Pharaoh, made him very angry. I got a question for you, Moses. Moses, the more angry Pharaoh got, the less you seemed to fear him. What was your secret? I think it was he saw him who was invisible. And he knew God had his back. And that somehow, in some way, God would look after him and he just plunged in, not fearing the wrath of the king. Is that something that can help you and me in our life? I hope so. Last one here, number five. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. It wasn't easy to get out of Egypt. It wasn't easy to overcome all the obstacles and and his getting his own people on side as well to to make this move, but it says he persevered. Another translation says he endured. It's tough to persevere. It's tough to keep going. Many of us are fast starters, and then we run out of gas. We run into uh, uh, difficulties, and we, we give up the cause. We say, maybe this wasn't such a good idea after all. Pharaoh was tightening the screws moment by moment several times on the Israelites during this whole ordeal. Back in the book of Exodus, you can read about it. And the people felt the heat, And they began to second-guess the whole plan. They said, our lot is not getting better. It's getting worse. This is crazy. Let's abandon everything. But Moses saw something that most of them didn't see. And it says here, he saw him who is invisible. It's all about God. Practical question here as we've gone through these five things. Which one of these five? Maybe I could just ask you silently in your own heart to choose one. That's uh, perhaps a weaker area that you need to grow in. Does it have something to do with your identity? Does it have something to do with fear? Do you have a tendency to give up too quickly? Does it have something to do with your values or with your ability to make choices? Could you quietly just identify one right now and say, Lord, help me to see you more clearly that I can be stronger in this area of my life. team can come now to (coughs) prepare to sing the last song. While they do, I have a confession to make. And as I say this, I hope you don't misunderstand me. With all of my talk about looking ahead to the reward and seeing him who is invisible, sometimes I get tired (coughs) of only being able to see my Lord by faith you ever get tired of that I know Paul says we walk by faith and not by sight but sometimes I'm like this walking by faith is hard <clears throat> I'm not getting tired of the Lord I'm getting tired of not being able to really see him physically face to face now it's in a mirror dimly then face to face I want to get there I want to see him he's the reward that we're looking for a little a little example here uh, and i borrow this from the late tim keller he said sometimes maybe you work in an office or in a business and you do a lot of emailing all, all the time every day you're you're emailing this department and you're talking to the person over there and you're and you know you're asking questions and you might trade a little bit of banter back and forth you're emailing people that that you don't know uh, they're, they're just a name on your, on your, in your address list and, and you, but, uh, and this might go on for, for days, weeks, months, and, and, but one day you're in the coffee room or you're at a seminar where everybody's together and you bump into this person and you ask their name and you say, oh, it's so nice to finally meet you because you've come to like them in your email interchanges. Let me read some verses to you. First Corinthians thirteen twelve. For now, I've, I've been quoting this all morning. Now, in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see him face to face. First John three two. All the apostles express this in one way or another. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. Listen, for we shall see him as he is. Revelation 21, 3 to 4, famous verses, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. Notice those words, now among the people. That's different than everything we've known. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them, notice those words, they will be his people and he himself will be with them and be their God and he will wipe away their tears and there will be no more pain, etc. in that passage. So look ahead, friends, to the day when you finally are in his real, tangible, physical presence and you say something like this. I've been reading your letters for a long time. I've been straining my ears to hear your voice, which sometimes gets lost in all the crazy noise of this world. Sometimes I admit I get weary of doing my best to express my love and gratitude and worship to someone I can't even see or touch. But my, oh my, it's so nice to finally meet you. So friends, keep looking ahead and seeing the unseen. Someday it will be different. Let's pray. Lord God, deepen and broaden and strengthen our faith capacity to see the unseen. And then having looked and seen, even though it's a bit blurry, help us to put our minds and our hands to the work that you have yet for us to do. In this present world. Amen.